0: Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino and I'm joined by my co-host, the star of this show, Hall of Fame pitcher, Jim Cott. And this is Cott's Corner, episode 268. Little Jason Aldean to get us rolling this morning. I'm down here in the southeast, Jim, where you used to be. And uh, weathering a two-day hurricane watch here from coming up from Florida. So we're going to tough it through the weather. looks like internet connection is perfect. We should be able to do this show seamlessly and I'll knock on wood, but... uh, Welcome back to your show. Uh, a lot of great news from. Uh, we talked before the show about iHeart uh, Radio picking us up on their podcast network. Uh, puts us in a whole bigger ball game right now. I think we've graduated. I guess I would be graduating to the big leagues now.
1: Good. Well, that's that's good news, and uh, we'll keep trying to give them uh, worthwhile content that makes it attractive to people.
0: Well, I think uh, sh- shows like this and, and the other shows in our network. I, I kind of have to. I give credit to our our hosts like yourself who put in a a great effort every week to provide tremendous content to what I believe is a very sophisticated audience, uh, very intelligent audience, and they're very interactive with us. Almost 50,000 now subscribers and Still, it's stuck at seventy-four countries. I'm trying to research a couple more countries for us to get into. But um, I was I was surprised to see there were seventy-four out there. So seventy-four, almost fifty thousand grassroots MLB front offices, and just finished the Little League World Series. So that's one of our our biggest supporters, uh, Little League Baseball with Steve Keener. So uh, we're glad that he's on board. Was actually a guest early on in our in our I guess in the infancy stages of our show. So we'll have to get him back. But uh, with that, I know I know our show has been. We've been talking about the great divide quite a bit, and and uh, kind of help our audience understand where how we've gotten to this point in the game. Um, you know, talked about the things that have worked up to this point, and really we've taken a just an extreme uh, turn at this point in stage in baseball, and we're trying to get it back. So as, as we chatted before the show, we thought uh, you know continue to address this, but we've got to hit that next generation of player and coach. So I think that's that's an angle you wanted to to start going with today.
1: Yeah, it really is. You mentioned Steve Keener. I remember years ago when Steve was uh, the assistant, one of the assistants at Little League, and I tried to encourage uh, Little League over here to begin to use the smaller balls for different age groups. Uh, I don't think that's caught on, but that would that would really be if somehow they could get behind that. That would be so helpful to uh, you know kids that are so small, so young, small hands, and still try to grip a regular sized baseball. So that would be a step up. But yeah, I, I think uh, we've talked a lot on here about our disagreement with so much of the analytics and, uh, you know, the big divide for me, uh, you know, I kind of relate it to the fact that uh, I don't talk to pitching coaches the last couple of years or they don't talk to me because uh, we don't speak the same language. And I thought, you know, there's so much negativity out there with the analytics, and we've already said our piece. Uh, I think for the most part, it's detrimental to the game. But I think where we might maybe be able to make an impact is begin to get parents uh, and little league coaches, maybe even high school and college coaches to think a little differently about judging players on – their ability to compete and succeed more than just looking at how hard they throw, how high they hit it, how hard they hit it. Yeah, Um, and I'll use myself kind of as an example, Dave, without, you know, being self-serving or boasting. But I, I think back of when I was in high school, I was one of the smallest kids in our class. My high school record for three years was 17 and one. I went into college freshman year grew, but I still was kind of gangly. I pitched uh, six complete games. We played seven inning games. I gave up one run. Now I get scouted, but I didn't get scouted because I threw hard. I got scouted because I had a good record. And I think, as I've told you before, after my first summer in professional baseball, the manager said to me, kid, if you come up with a fastball, you got a chance. So Why did they sign me back then without a fastball? Because we looked at uh, the ability to compete, uh, the ability, you know, to succeed in in different situations. And I had parents that were the perfect parents. Uh, I'll use a golf example. I remember when my wife Margie was still playing golf and she was a lady club pro. And my nephew had a daughter who was a, a high school golfer, an aspiring golfer. And we played around the golf, and we got done. And my nephew Chris said, um, "Well, what did you think of? Uh, what did you think today about watching Lauren play?" The first thing she said, she said, "Chris, you have to be her dad and not her coach, <laughs> because he kept trying to interject different things that he thought she should do." And I, I think that we run into that, uh, and you probably see it at the uh, at the level you're at with coaching and stuff. Is we have parents that are are trying to be their kids' coach and uh, maybe encourage them to do things that aren't in their best interest, like throw as hard as you can and and uh, go to all these camps and instructional camps. And I, I think if there's a way to get back to parents, just at the early age I'm talking about, is just let kids. Get out there and play and have fun. Enjoy the None of this, uh, everybody gets a trophy, but kind of train them to to compete. You know, if they love the game, you want to compete. Uh, If you're going to play, you you might as well try to play uh, and win whatever you're doing. And uh, I think we need to instill more of that in our youth instead of just, hey, show up and you did a nice job and here's a trophy for showing up in the summer.
0: Yeah, it's it's really gotten the the scene backwards. Uh, I did not know what the grassroots level was like. It's kind of like we joked about podcasting um, before we started this production group. I, I didn't even know how to listen to a podcast a year ago, a year and a half ago. I don't mean to disappoint our audience, but uh, come a long way with with that. But uh, having coached collegiately for so long and going from you know playing collegiately, playing professionally, coaching collegiately. My head was very much away from what happens at the grassroots level. And I remember my very first game watching my two boys play. It was t-ball. And, uh, you know, you want to socialize with the parents. But I stood, I I just gradually kept moving further and further away from the scene. I I just, I could not understand what happened. I even turned to my wife and I said, is this what it's like? And uh, she just kind of shook her head and it's, it's, it's nonstop screaming, nondescript instructions to throw it, go run, hit, you know, like the kids don't know. And there's no way that, you know, those kids out there are having a hard enough time figuring it out. And I, I I have always been with my kids when I, when I'm not coaching them. Um, I stay, I don't coach them from the sideline. I sit with my legs crossed sometimes, sometimes not, and drink my coffee and don't say boo. Uh, sometimes I clap. Um, and, uh, and, and I, not, again, not to be, be boastful, but I, I'm gathering that I probably have more knowledge on either of the sports they play, basketball or baseball, than the other parents sitting in the crowd. And I don't say a word. And if they come to me and ask about, you know, playing time, which they know better than, um, I say, go ask your coach, talk to him. I don't decide playing time. I'm like, they know better now than to do that. But yeah, there's there's a lot of over-involvement. I mean, the, the thing that I, I you know, you, you started to touch on was- These young kids are so overcoached and undertaught right now. And there there is a clear distinction. And I think that that takes away their self-awareness. They no longer know what to do and when to do it. And it sounds like you had parents that allowed you to figure that out as a kid.
1: Yeah, I I think I mentioned this before that, uh, you know, my mother saw me pitch one game uh, professionally and I was counting minor leagues and stuff in well over a thousand. And uh, she saw game two of the... 1965 world series uh when i was a young player in high school and people would say we understand your son is a is a pretty good baseball player and she would say yeah i think he's the one that throws the ball so they can hit it It means i was a pitcher i said yeah i did that a little too well sometimes but and my dad I, i thought about that watching the tour championship when victor hovland Xander shoffley put on such a show and they showed a a shot of uh Victor's parents up in a room in the clubhouse of his dad, I think, peeking out the window. And when it was all over, uh, Margie said to me, well, I I thought his dad would probably be down, you know, right there at greenside level. And I said, you know, I can relate to that. My dad would stay in the background, so nobody even knew he was there. But I knew he was there and I knew he supported me, but he didn't have scream and holler or anything like that. Uh, That might be a tough thing to ever overcome in today's generation, with uh, the, you know, with with every group of young people that I sit down with, and at my age playing golf and so forth, most of them are considerably younger, as they all talk about being chauffeurs to the various events, and a lot of that has to do with our security, but. Uh, we were so lucky to to play in that kind of an era where we, we didn't have a ton of people watching or coaches. We just sort of learned maybe by reading some things in a book and uh, had a few helpful coaches along the way that mostly encouraged. And now, of course, we have the ability to teach kids. Um Like my favorite drill for pitchers is this ground ball drill. I've talked about it before. You roll a ground ball to a kid and he picks it up, takes takes a hop, step, and throw. Well, that is his natural arm slot. Kids want to learn to hit, play pepper. I mean, I don't even know if they know what pepper is. probably have to go to YouTube to see it. Uh, You know, and I think to do things at shorter distances and slower speeds and and begin to get that kind of teaching, before they play games. And then when they play games, throw the ball out and let them play. You know, I I was so uh, lucky to have coaches that their philosophy was when the game starts, coaching stops. I've coached you between starts or spring training or in preparation. Now, you just go out and play. I don't want to put any other thoughts in your head. And if it doesn't work, we'll we'll work on it the next day.
0: Yeah, those are... When you said that, I could feel myself get relaxed in, in that competitive mode because uh, I think it, that the other way tenses kids up. I may have a way, I want to get your opinion on this, to, to help train parents to not scream and yell on the sideline. I, I've tried it a, a bunch of times. I've done clinics with it. It's a little bit out there and hopefully our audience is appreciated. Do you mind me sharing to get your opinion on it? Not at all. Okay. Well, we do, I get brought in a lot of times, again, just uh, as I tell the people when I'm talking to them, whether it's youth baseball or high school baseball, I often get brought into, the parents don't know why I'm coming and I guess the ones listening do now, but um, get brought in and I'll take the group through a series of build-up drills as we talk about. Maybe it's uh, you know throwing one hoppers from the outfield to get that natural crow hop and arm slot with the outfielders. It could be you know, working on the footwork with a rolled ground ball with the shortstops and then building up into following your throw and uh, wh- whatever it is. Um, th- I let the coaches let me know what they want to build up so it's functional for them. So it gives them a, a new portion of practice that they can build on. And I bring the parents close and I ask them to just pay attention, follow follow around, follow your kid, follow other kids. Um, and then I take the parents out and had the kids out I'm sorry and I put the parents I said replace your child in the drill and we're going to run through just a shorter version maybe 2 minutes and we take them through it so they can just see how hard it is physically and they they're they're well aware geez our children just did this for you know 25 30 minutes and we're doing it for 6 and we're we're exhausted it is hard physically the skills hard and then I take the kids over to me and I've already met with the kids prior and they give me little phrases that their parents scream at them From the sideline like catch it throw it what are you doing i love that's my favorite open-ended essay question what are you doing um there's there's, there's probably two dozen of them and i give each kid two index cards and i say okay parents how was that they tell me oh very hard we appreciate how hard it is for our kids to do it we didn't realize that great i said now we're just going to up the ante a little bit and i start the drills again same time frame and i ask the kids at the top of their lungs to scream at their parents the, the the one or two phrases they have in those index cards and the looks on these people's faces is, is priceless. I videotape it sometimes. Seemingly intelligent people, lawyers, doctors, teachers, um, just pardon the, the phrase, but just basically crapping their pants in the middle of it and just panicking and stazzing out. And I let them go on for two minutes and the parents look at these kids like, this isn't going to stop. And I said, that was for two minutes. Imagine your child, you know, an eight-year-old kid, however, an 18-year-old kid going through that for two hours, five days a week in 12 different states over the course of four months. I mean, you tell me you're not creating an insane kid, so that's kind of shock therapy. So what the coaches always say said, "No, everybody felt that, right?" And so I'll kind of peruse and watch the games, watch the behavior, and then the coach always promises. So if we see anybody out of line, we're going to bring Dave back in. And he's going to give us that shock therapy again. So that's kind of my my method I've used. Um, I'm, I'm uh, in, I guess infamous is the right word for it. But um, what what are your thoughts on that?
1: I, I think that's a good idea. I mean, I, I think that's a great idea. You taking it to uh, to to another a uh, level, coaching level, is I think everybody should read Mike Matheny. Have you ever had Mike Matheny on your show? We haven't. No. Yeah, you <laughs> should. Mike Matheny was a uh, uh, came out of University of Michigan, big league catcher for many years and successful, and then had I think Mike had 19 concussions, had to get out of the game. And uh, so he was kind of on the sideline for a while and living out in the uh, suburbs of St. Louis. And uh, they called him and said, would you coach our youth uh, baseball program? And he said, let me think about it. So uh, he called back the leader, I think in a couple of weeks and she said, yes, I'd like all the parents to come over to my house. So they all came over and he had a contract for each one of them. And they had to sign a contract, no phone calls, uh, no screaming at the game or calling up and saying, why didn't my son or daughter? I guess we have a lot of young ladies playing now play. And he did get one phone call and had to release the the uh, young player from the team because his parents called and interfered. So that's a pretty good way to, to do it along with, uh, with what you're saying. And uh, uh, Mike has written a book. Uh, he has written a book about uh, parents and youth baseball. Uh, I have a copy of it, but it would be it'd be good for every uh, coach and and for parents to get because uh, I've never seen the switch in in recent years. I mean, I can remember one example when I was uh, a bat boy back in Zeeland, Michigan, for our town team, and we had a right hand pitcher uh, out of a high school in Grand Rapids. So Bob was now about 17 or 18. Bob Dangle. And in a seven inning game, this guy would strike out 17. He was just awesome. But his dad on games when he didn't have a lot of strikeouts would come down behind the bench and Bobby, you only have eight strikeouts, you know. Well, that was my first experience of hearing a parent that actually said that kind of stuff to their to their child. I fortunately never had to experience that. Well, uh, Bob Dangle quit playing baseball. I think he had enough of it at that age and I don't blame him. But that was my first example of it. But, yeah, that's a big challenge is to to be able to convince the parents as much as they want to see their kids do well, is just be a parent and uh, turn the coaching over to people that honestly want to coach and maybe have some ability to do it. And, And then I think for the most part, A lot of coaches should just admit, you know, I don't have all the answers, but here's the ball. Just take your natural ability and go out and play and see how you do. And uh, that's what coaches did for me in American Legion baseball. You know, one coach showed me how to step on the rubber. He said left-handers put their foot on the left side of the rubber, right-handers on the right. And uh, I just went into my windup and threw a ball, and that's where it started. He he never screamed at me, never showed me any particular mechanical... Uh, things to do. And, and coaches have the ability to do that today. So coaching could be a lot better than it was in my day, but basically they just let us play.
0: Yeah. I and you, you make a great point. And even if, you know, my, my sons both play, they play for me now um, as they're getting older. And I prefer them to hear other strong male voices. And and if, you know, if they play for female coaches, great. And my wife does some coaching as well but I want to hear other voices. And the, the rule I, I, my, my older son plays for a really good rec coach and my younger son plays for a regional, little regional team outside of us. And the guys are, you know, good guys. They work hard. They're fair to the kids. They come prepared for practice. They're always trying to get me out there. And that's my message to him. I said, here's, here's my promise to you. I said, I'm going to be dad. And I'm going to make sure they eat lunch and dinner and breakfast. I'm going to tuck them in at night. I'm going to drive them home. When I drive them home, I'm not going to talk about baseball. I'm certainly not going to und- undo the things that you guys taught them. And all you need to do is tell me is what you need from them. And you can tell them through them. You don't have to tell me directly. I'll reinforce that at home. And I'll make sure that the six hours a week you have with them get reinforced by the 162 hours I have with them. And that's, that's what parents don't realize. They have these kids for a hundred, you know, there's 168 hours in a week. The coaches have them for four to six. You've got them for the other 162. So spend time reinforcing that stuff. And, and we, we make a rule when we get in the car, game over, whatever, I'm not talking about it. Um, you know, I see so many kids, right? As soon as they get in, it's like the window's closed, the music's up and the parents just like critiquing nonstop. Most parents aren't qualified to re- critique and usually it's negative. So God knows what that's doing to these kids uh in terms of their enjoyment of playing.
1: Yeah, it it's a it's a tough battle. I, I keep I think back to my era and I know things are never going to be the way they were in that era. Uh you know, you have you you have the security issue where you just can't let your kids go on their own, uh, that's that's sad. Uh especially growing up in a small town with such a big advantage, but somehow we have to uh we have to let the James Matthews and the kids that we, we saw come over from New Zealand who are teenagers now and, and about to go into college and you'll have college coaches say, well, uh, you don't have enough power. You don't throw hard enough. Uh, we have to get that turned back to how well did he do? I mean, I used to talk to the great Whitey Ford about if we went to uh, a tryout camp today, we'd get sent home. My baseball idol, Bobby Shantz, was the 1952 American League MVP at 5'6", 135 pounds. Uh, so you can imagine if he went to a tryout camp today, it's all based on power and size and speed. And I think we're missing out on a lot of kids that uh, uh, that are competitive. You know, I I thought the other day watching Victor Hovland and, and Xander Shoffley. Xander's a little bit older than Victor. Victor's 25, but... There's that fear of failure in a good way that drives a competitor you just you just don't want to fail. It's not good enough at the end of the day. You say to your son or your daughter or yourself, like when I play golf and I don't play exceptionally well, I never did play great, but I have a bad day. I said I tried on every shot, you know, and so at the end of the day you say, uh, you did the best you could but during that competition, uh, we, we've got to put a little more fire, I think, in our young people in the desire to compete. Uh, and, and that's why you're out there. That's why they keep score, uh, to, you know, to, to give your best effort and do your best, uh, to be the best and to win whatever you're, you know, game you're playing at. And then when it's over, it's time to say, well, I did the best I could, but I think sometimes we're losing it and maybe you see it differently than I do, but I think we're losing that fire about uh, wanting to go out and win the game.
0: No, I agree with you. Totally. There's a, I think the system is set up that way where, you know, you, you play a game on Saturday at nine and if you win or lose, you play again at one. And if you lose that one, you play again at the next day in the bronze championship world championship bracket. And, um, you know, we, there's a, Again, we, we we talk about the good old days here, but could you imagine if a, a team paid their $1,000 entry fee and they played at nine o'clock on Saturday, and if they lose, they're going home? There's no three games guaranteed or four games. I mean, there'd be a little bit more competitiveness. And I tell my boys all the time, I, I love to go down to the park and just turn them loose, whether it's whatever sport it is. First, because there's no parents. And second, the kids are smart enough to pick the best players and put them in the right spots. And um, I show them the basketball line you you get in line when it's your turn to play you know you you pick your two or three that are with you um and then you play and if you lose, you go to the back of the line and you wait and that's painful to wait and wh- what however we can restructure the way it's done for kids say it's missing but i I get- p- people ask me you know why did you move from college coaching to what you do now and You know, I said, it wasn't the kids that changed. Uh, The kids didn't, the kids haven't changed. I firmly believe they want to be disciplined. I think, and I don't think discipline is a bad word. I think they want to work hard. I don't think they know how to. We've got to teach them. I think parenting's changed. I think, uh, no question. You've touched on it with yours. And I would never, ever think of coming home and saying, my teacher yelled at me today or, um, you know, or my coach had to discipline me today. Um, I got asked two questions anytime I came home, whether I was at the boys club by myself working out or practice. My dad would ask, did you concentrate? Did you did you waste any shots? Did you waste any at-bats? Did you take advantage of every opportunity you had to get better? And my mom would ask me, did you have fun? Did you make friends? And that was my balance. That's And that's this, the same thing I say to every practice to my kids and, and to our team is I just want you, if you can go out there and you can concentrate for me today and you can have fun, we're going to have a great practice today and you're going to get better. And I've kept it that simple. I I don't know where and that maybe that's where we can address on this podcast is how do we get that fire back in these kids? Yeah,
1: I think somehow or other we've gotta we've gotta find a way to have parents should be encouragers and then quality coaches should be teachers, you know, not overcoach or over teach, but there there's a separation. Between the two, going back to your mother, I mean, that's the only thing. If I came in after a basketball game or baseball game, unfortunately, we had good teams and we won most of our games. It was always, well, how'd you do today? Most of the time, well, we won, but sometimes, well, we didn't do well. You did the best you could, did you? So, you know, that was her way. My dad uh, would always, if I had a good game, would always call attention to the other players on the team that helped me succeed. So it kept me from feeling too good about the fact that. That I'm the star, you know, (laughs) so-and-so threw me good passes or this guy made a great play or got a key hit. But uh, it's tough now to be with the money involved. You're talking about the money it costs to have these kids play. I mean, I played a Legion tournaments. My, you know, we, we, uh, the sponsor bought our uniforms and uh, the coaches drove us to the little, you know, short distances of the games but we didn't pay any entry fees and things like that, that that parents have to today. So I know that's a challenge for uh, for a lot of you thinking about the uh, back to the games and playing two a day. I, I probably told you this before, but in the Legion Championships at uh, Bailey Park and Battle Creek, uh, I pitched 11 o'clock in the morning game and we won that. And I think he wanted to save our we had a a, a pitcher. Uh, Leroy Fogarty, I think was his name, and he was a little stronger than I was. I was still kind of a, a small, gangly kid. So they gambled and he said, "Did you pitch the game this afternoon, and we'll have Leroy pitching tomorrow?" Which I did. So I pitched two seven-inning games in one day. Well, you can tell physically that there's no way you're going to be out there throwing as hard as you can and be able to pitch two seven-inning games. So it was it was pitching then; it wasn't throwing, and. uh you know, it was competing. You just uh, figure out, a, you know, you figured out a way to to compete and help your team win the game. And uh, uh, the mechanics and and the the numbers weren't there. The the uh, logistics, the uh, statistics that we refer to today weren't there. So it was a lot easier for a kid to relax and play than I think it is now.
0: Yeah, that we we I mentioned overcoached, undertaught. I think we're over-evaluated now too with and i I got some numbers back we have these young men that we help out with with scholarships with baseball globally and without question jim when they get an evaluation back from a college camp or one of these tournaments they go to it is a litany of just uh, arbitrary numbers and that's what they're governed by that's what they've grown up knowing and that's what these parents cling to and post on social media and I wonder how much of that. I know we don't want to get negative on on the numbers and the links, but I, I wonder how much of that uh, lends itself to the kids being more fragile about having weaknesses exposed. Like when we say, you know, you have an average arm. That's I've got told that a thousand times. So like, okay, so I have to do other things better or improve that arm. To me, that was an answer to the test. Nowadays, at these kids I watch them, they crumble with with something that direct to say your your, your arm is, is weak, you know. Some well, it, it,
1: it's not that analytics and statistics deserve to be criticized for that. I mean, I can remember hearing from one of my younger friends that had a, a a young man playing youth baseball, and somebody was there already with a radar gun. I said, if I was there, I probably would get in a tussle with the guy and that radar gun be in a trash can. I said, you know, they there shouldn't be any analytics any statistical advice you know advice any anything to say your arm isn't strong enough you don't throw hard enough that should not be a factor until they become eligible to play professional baseball it's just like uh, when i talked to the duke coach and he's well-meaning i'm sure and he mentioned he really like james matthews but you know you wish he would throw a little harder well at, at 15 maybe your body is not ready to throw uh, harder and that's why we have a lot of those injuries because we're forcing these kids to do more physically than they're really capable of doing so instead of the reports that your arm is not good enough you don't run fast enough hey you want to play wow you look like you're a pretty good player you you show them you let him play hey he's doing well we don't care how how hard he throws or how fast he runs he can play he's a winning player yeah. and we've we've lost that by looking at uh we used to say, uh, if somebody said, how's so-and-so doing? And it would uh, be kind of a physically, you know, well put together athlete. And we'd see, well, he looks good in the lobby, but you know, he's, he's not able to play the game. Yeah, so, an you know, and you could look in the past, uh, how about Yogi Berra? I mean, we start talking about the great players in professional and, you know, with all due respect to Johnny bench and all the more modern catchers, uh, you seldom them, hear Yogi's name come up when they say, who's the greatest catcher of all time? You know, he's 5'7", 170, won three batting titles, three MVPs. Uh, Casey Stengel said if he started his Yankee team that had Mickey Mantle on it, his first pick would be Yogi Berra uh, because he was a baseball player yep. and he wasn't a physical specimen. And uh, somehow guys like that are getting swept under the rug now and aren't getting a chance to show what they can do.
0: That's actually what prompted uh, Lindsey Barrett to, to do the documentary to be a part oh, of
1: that. She I sat with her there in Cooperstown, you know, and, and she said, when I saw all these greatest players announced, she said, what about my grandpa? <laughs> and so, yeah, that's how we became, well, I didn't have to become aware of it because I knew of Yogi, you know, and when he hit 28 home runs one year and struck out 12 times, so his record is just amazing.
0: Yeah, we, we had her on the show early on, right before the documentary came out, and even though I, I pride myself on being being into the history of the game, some of the things she brought out in terms of his prominence among a very prominent team uh, even surprised me. So I'm glad she did that because those are, as you mentioned, that's a baseball player. And it, the yeah. baseball players come in every size, shape, any package you can, you can imagine. And um, so I get that you, you brought this up right before we started talking Yogi with, you know, in regards to Duke, but with the way that we evaluate pros now, um, w- pushing that aside, is it fair to evaluate 14 year old boys under the same numerical criteria that we evaluate men? Because it, right now it's driving their training. And they cannot, in my opinion, a 14 year old cannot train or a 13, 12, even an 18 year old, train like a professional man.
1: No that's what I think I, I mentioned maybe in our last uh, show I was talking about Little League baseball that some of these youth baseball programs should be should be sectioned into size. I think you said pop Warner football does you do, yeah. but uh, yeah they, it should be sectioned into size and uh, occasionally now I, I get the uh, I get all the notices of my colleagues and former teammates that have passed away because they're getting into their 70s and 80s. And in addition, it will publish the scouting report. And in the scouting report, the scout will, scout will say, has a good curveball. Uh, you know, his ability to compete, there isn't any, any numbers in there about, well, he throws 92, or, you know, this is his speed. It's just kind of a general scouting report on how they think the player has the possibility of being a big league baseball player but nowadays the uh, because of the the emphasis on how hard you throw how how fast you throw I should say and how hard you hit it and how far you hit it uh, all of a sudden power and size is taking over and and we're seeing on the big league level now today i think these clubs are putting guys on the waiver list to get rid of that are banged up and injured and can't play anymore and and i want i want to see us develop a generation of, I was always proud when, when people said, you know, you were built to last, I was trained to last. And, and I want to see us, uh, you know, develop players. If they really want to play whatever sport they're in for the, for the number of years they play it is built to last where you can coach and your team can count on you every day to show up and play. Yeah.
0: We did. You know, there's there's a lot of quick fixes that we're seeing with the, the baseball specific training and in and, and light, some of the numbers are dictating that. But you mentioned the injuries, you know, we saw the Yankees uh, dump Donaldson and they put Bader on waivers, two two guys that have been often injured. But the um, how much of that is translating over to the, the way these guys try to get the... And I, I use quick fix, they are working hard in the weight room, but... In lieu of baseball skill development, and getting stronger as a hitter by hitting, getting stronger as a pitcher by pitching and throwing, how much of do you attribute the injuries from the weight room uh, causing some of the breakdowns today, or not the injuries, well, but the I, overuse I, of the I, weight I think, room?
1: Yeah, I think there are sort of like Steve Carlton, who's a teammate of mine. Lefty was a lefty was a weightlifter, but uh, you know he did it intelligently, obviously because uh, he he never missed a turn. You know he was he was always there. So obviously, when you look at the injuries, uh, I mean, some of these teams have like 10, 12 trainers. They got all these exercises they go through. And I mean, I was able to last a long time. My number one exercise was putting my foot on the rubber and throwing the baseball to home plate, uh, 60 feet, six inches, and then had my little drills to do that. But throwing the baseball was my favorite exercise. And I like to do it a lot. And I agree with you. I think with some of these injuries that we're seeing in the major leagues, even start maybe in youth baseball where they're stretching. You know, Dr. Andrews has talked about the ulnar collateral ligament being like twisting a coat hanger and you start twisting that when you're 11 or 12, then a little later on it, it, uh, it snaps and then, you know, maybe you're in the big leagues, but the, the real problem started in youth baseball. And then I, I think now maybe teams are gonna to start to evaluate uh, uh in all of these strength and flexibility coaches are talented in what they do. They're you know, a lot of them have degrees behind their name. They've studied kinesiology, they've studied the body, but baseball skills are what uh you know, what a player needs and and the the Hall of Fame is full of guys that uh, even you look at a guy like Cal Ripken, he had baseball skills. You know, he wasn't overly fast. He was big. He had lateral movement, but he had a high baseball IQ, as did Pete Rose. I remember when Derek Jeter uh, came up and there was all the talk. The Mets had a shortstop named Ray Ordonez, good glove man. Then Omar was there, a uh, Nomar uh, Garcia-Para and A-Rod. And everybody, Jeter was at the bottom of the list. Well, Derek Jeter did something that a minor league manager told me. If you can do the ordinary things in an extraordinary fashion, you'll be just fine. You don't have to be a star. You don't have to make the heroic uh, plays. And that's what Derek Jeter did for his career. He just was steady. He made the big plays and got the big hits at the right time. And he surpassed all those guys because of that. So he was a baseball player. And uh, that's what we have to try to develop more. If it's not baseball, other sports, just let them play and let their natural talent to take them to wherever they're going to go. I mean, I have to, you have to be honest with kids to start with in the youth baseball and even the college level. The percentage of getting to the major leagues, baseball-wise, is still slim. So, you know, you have to be realistic, but yet if that's your goal, I mean, I was fortunate when I was like eight or nine. That's all I wanted to be was a baseball player. And I was I was fortunate to get the right coaching and the right breaks along the way to become one. But if you looked at it statistically, the odds of getting there um, are not that great. So you want to be as good a teammate and you want to put the effort in and be as good as you can be during this particular Time in your life, and you do that by playing, not by looking at video or having somebody come up with some sort of a training method to help you throw harder or hit it farther. Yeah.
0: We we had uh, we had Mike Port on the show earlier this week, and he talked about the five tools, you know, um, the five traditional tools that players are evaluated on, and you and you hit on them with Jeter, but he brought up a, a three more, but one in particular that uh, I want you to expound upon because you mentioned it with Jeter and Ripken and Rose. Um, he brought about baseball self-awareness, knowing what to do and when to do it. That tool is not necessarily graded right now. You'll see it, like as you mentioned, you'll see it in the, uh, the reports from the, the scouts that have been doing it for a long time. They'll, they'll address that wholeheartedly, I would imagine. But how, how do you get – first, how important is the baseball awareness, what to do, when to do it, and how do you manifest that in today's youth? You just play games.
1: You, you play. And, and you go through the experience. I think like I never played with anybody who was more aware of what was going on in the whole field than Pete Rose. You know, I coached for him, but he had that, he had that awareness, you know, when he got on first base, he's looking around where are the outfielders playing off, it's hit over there. I can get to third. Those kind of things are lost because I mean, that's why I got to quit watching and even and quit analyzing because you'll see a guy get a hit. And the first thing he does, he looks in the dugout and he's clapping his hands and his teammates are helping him celebrate. Well, if you make the turn at first and the outfielder might bobble it, you'll be on second. Yeah. Well, that's, that's self-awareness that's playing baseball. And I blame the coaching for that. I mean, I can't believe some of these major league managers tolerate the antics that we see go on on the field. Uh, and so it's just like raising kids. If you let them do things and get away with things, they're going to continue to push the envelope.
0: Great point. Uh, and,
1: and so just just letting them play and, and um, I think letting them compete, that's where you find your, your self-awareness and your awareness as a baseball player. And uh, gosh, I remember Frank Howard, you know, Big Frank, the giant slugger years ago when he was coaching in the, in the minor leagues for Tampa and I uh, was doing TV and I stopped, I said, Frank, uh, what, what's our minor league players? What's, what's the future look like here with the players we got now they're getting bigger, stronger. And he says, Jimmy, we're producing a lot of good practice players, but we have to teach him how to play the game. <laughs> you know? So, sure. and, and I think that's a good point. We, uh, You know, we teach him how to look good and get stronger. But the only way to really learn how to play the game is play the game. Uh, Golf is a golf is an example. I, uh, you know, there are there are guys in the PGA Tour that got close. They got close, but then they didn't win for a while. And unfortunately, in baseball, now your pitchers, you know, they don't get a chance to compete in that seventh, eighth and ninth. So they're never going to get that feeling. But to to be allowed to play and play and fail and come back and fail again and then succeed and then finally get there, you do that by playing. As a pitcher, you do it for by pitching nine innings. As a player, you do it by having four at-bats a game for 30 days or whatever, and, and you learn how to play.
0: I, uh, I, I've i got a question regarding that. I I think you can lend a lot of insight. I'm going to kind of pick on myself uh, to to make a point. So... I have a, one of those odd brains that remembers numbers and I can remember phone numbers to the point where I never used to put contact numbers in my phone. I could just, Jim Cop, boom, I just just knew it. And um, my, my wife and my kids said, you got to start doing that. You have thousands of contacts. It's a little ridiculous that you don't have any in your phone. So we, we spent time, we put it in there and I found that. My abilities to remember just the simple phone numbers of people has diminished because I'm I've got a crutch now. Looking at baseball, we we see the index cards on the field, the wristbands, um, I guess even iPads. And again, not to bang on that, has that diminished the abilities to have self awareness in the game?
1: Absolutely, yeah. There's there's too many there's too many uh, relying on the coach. You know, relying on the coach, relying on the information, Uh, you get all the information you can. And then once the game starts, you you go play and see what's working for you that day, because every day is different. And it seems like we're programming our 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 youth to just, you know, not not adjust on the fly for uh if this isn't re- working today you gotta go to something else and you just you just do that by playing, you know, as a as a pitcher, you pitch well. I'm I i do not have a real good curveball today or so, so you gotta go a different way. But yeah, I, I think all the uh the information on the professional level is good and especially the the training methods now. There are some good ones out there. I know like Justin Verlander, he looked at uh some video, probably this rap soto, and he found a little tweak in his motion. Well, that's great. That helps him take what he learned out onto the field. But nobody's going to tell him out on the field how to pitch his game. He's going to do what he wants. And uh, yeah, I think we might we might be uh, uh, relying on that kind of stuff too much. And, and it goes back again to I think our our youngsters we we have to get back to that basic uh, principle of. The parents are parents and the coaches are out there to encourage and help the kids do the best I can. They they can. They might not be instructors. I I never really had a coach in Legion Ball or high school or even college that was an instructor. He was an encourager. I never had a pitching coach till I got to the big leagues. Uh, I had encouraging managers like Jack McKeon. Here's the ball. Figure out a way to do it. You got into this mess. Get out of it, and uh, that's the kind of stuff that I I wish we could get our youth to begin to uh, parents and coaches to concentrate on just letting our our kids play and enjoy it and have fun and not have a grading system already by the time they're
0: seven years old. Yeah, because they they will take the shape of the bottle. If you put if you put them in a bottle, they certainly will take the shape of that. I like that. Encourager versus instructor. Today's typical nine year old. I saw a young kid, we had, we were we do situational hitting in the cages, even though I don't like the cages uh, once a week. We do simulated action, put the pitchers behind L screen and let them throw in the cage just so we don't have to chase balls for one day and uh, they get a, a mock bullpen and with a catcher, with a batter. But next to us in the cage was a young kid, a, a young girl, probably eight, nine years old and just got, the mom was asking, she goes, oh, I follow you guys on Facebook. I, you know, we listen to podcasts. And uh, was assuring me that at that age has a catching coach, a hitting coach, a pitching coach, two travel coaches, a rec coach, and I'm guessing by the way, you know that the involvement of the parents there has two parent quote unquote coaches. That's a lot of input into an eight year old's head, who probably I mean I was watching, glad that, she, that, that 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 tons of energy wants to be good, but. I would think that that's going to inhibit that kid's ability to enjoy the game, figure out who he or she is in the game, and then ultimately develop that self-awareness.
1: Well, I, I agree with you. You're preaching to the choir, and I don't know how we're going to stop it. I mean, even my own uh, grandkids are all, you know, most of them are college out of college now, but when they were playing little league sports, you know, they have hitting instructors and things. I just I just think that's, that's too early for it. I use the example of uh, – Brendan who is now 20 I think Brendan just turned 26 yeah and uh so in his little league days we're in the backyard there of his their home in New Jersey and uh, their little league coach is kind of standing back critiquing him as they're taking batting practice with this wiffle ball in the backyard and they're saying to they keep your shoulder in you know he had a little tendency to pull out of it and I stayed in the bag. He didn't say anything. And then the, the neighbor had a birdhouse on his fence over here, which would be probably right over first base. So I quietly went over to Brendan and I said, uh, the next thing, the next time you get to get in there and take some swings, see if you can hit it out of that over that birdhouse because he was pulling off everything. And all of a sudden, boom, he hit some line drives through the middle. Well, that's all it took it was a little image, you know, like that. Uh, it, it, the, when I coached, some of the best coaching uh, compliments I got were guys, when they said, what did you do for Tommy Hume? I said, I didn't do anything for him. I left him alone. I just told him how good his sinker was and keep throwing it
0: load away. Yeah. Well, that's old That's old Customato style. He, he would never take credit for his boxers. He said, all I do is I'm, I uncover and discover. They've got it inside of him. I just kind of wipe the dust off a little bit, help them figure out who they are and let them be who they are. And encourage that yeah.
1: and you know the the other thing they will learn to do then which doesn't even happen on the big league level because they're so stunted with pitching is they will learn to take ownership of their own position and accountability when you go to the park and it's your day to pitch and there's the ball in your locker this is my game uh, this is my game to win or lose nowadays if you're a starter you say oh wow I can get through the batting order twice today. I can sit in the bench and say, well, I've done my job. That can't be fun to me. I mean, I want to I want to go out there and compete and try to help my team win the game. And uh, we're, we're taking that away from, we're taking that away, even starting with our young kids.
0: Yeah, that's the, the fun part scares me. Um, and I just, I got, we get thousands of messages from listeners throughout the week and, the word of the week that I've been changing on everybody is they, they 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 take great pride in using the word grind and work and stuff when they're describing their kids and I, mean, I said, they're like well what do you call it with your kids I said we play we're yeah. gonna go we're gonna go play catch we're gonna go you know we're not working we're playing and I think that one simple vocabulary change I mean I'm hoping it gives them a little bit of a paradigm shift but it shouldn't be work for the kids it's it's going to be hard work and that's yeah. okay hard work is fun. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. That's the part I did. Hard work can be fun. And it's almost yeah. like they don't want their kids to have fun. They want them to be this blood, sweat, and tears. And, you know, we of course, we talked about we want these kids to learn how to win. But you win by um, doing like, you know, you were saying your son did in the backyard. Go through repetitions. Have some struggles. Let your mis- weaknesses be revealed. Turn those weaknesses or mistakes into principles. And then you move on to the next yeah. thing. Doesn't have to be yeah, any. I mean,
1: you know, I couldn't agree with you more. I I, I kind of cringe every time I see, it. and it's it's just uh, it's it's nothing uh, derogatory. It's just a phrase that guys are used to using. We were really grinding out there. We were really grinding. Yeah, I did this because I really worked hard. Now I I dedicated a lot of my time to trying to be the best pitcher I could be. But I can never say that I came home and said, "Boy, I really had to grind today," or. It was really hard work. No, playing the game is hard. It's not an easy game. And then the the other thing that kind of like I said, I get a little anal about it. You'll see somebody say, well, we need a different piece here and a piece there. These guys aren't pieces they're people. They're players. So, you know, let them let them play and and have fun. I mean, I like the old golf teachers. Hey, give it time to rhyme. You know, they have all these little sayings uh, about you know, nothing mechanical, but just mentally, you know, it's telling you relax and, and, uh, let your body take over and do what it does best. That's you that. Force the, you can't force the feel. You feel the force.
0: Well, I like that. like that. Yeah. Those are my favorites. I, I love those catchphrases. but I, I do like that you, you always hit on, you know, getting your, getting your brain out of the way and let your body do what it was trained to do.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and we're, we're not, uh, even even when I play golf just for recreation now, my older friends golf is a game that people just beat themselves up over. And sometimes when I play, I just count my good shots. Yeah. So if I get done with a the round, they say, "How'd you play today?" I say, "I did pretty well today. I shot twenty six. Really? Yeah, I had twenty six good shots, and I forgot about the rest of them. I'm going to see if I can make more good shots the next time."
0: Yeah, that's it's, uh you know we it, that's that's a great point. Maybe this is some helpful tidbits for young kids and parents and it, it's, it's odd because this, the things that we want to develop in kids, I think we, right now, the game has taken the wrong path to doing that. Maybe a little misguided in terms of how they're approaching it. But I always tell my, my, my boys and, and my girls, my wife does the same, you know, as, as, a, as athletes, as you progress up the line, athletes are the greatest liars to themselves. And if you can learn to, like you said to, to yourself, I had twenty six good shots. You're, you're, you're. That's self awareness. That's, that's yeah. controlling your brain. That's I don't want to say tricking your brain, but it's getting your brain to focus on where you want to go and yeah. what you're trying to do. And I think that's a skill right now because we we we're dealing with older athletes uh, and actually young and old I shouldn't say, and their communication to themselves is absent. I think because they're getting so much input from everywhere else. Every time they they do something. They're looking at the number or they're looking for somebody else outside them to tell them whether it was right, wrong and different and what to do next. And that's to me, that's joysticking a kid. It's like video. It's like video games. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a a battle. I mean, I'm glad we had this discussion today. I'd I'd really like to I I really hope we can make a dent in uh, in youth baseball. So, you know, Major League Baseball is really done what I think is is a shame for the young kids out there that want to be players is they've cut back on the minor leagues. You know, years ago, it would take me all week to read the sporting news because they had so many minor leagues from class D, C, B, A, AA, double A, So more kids got a chance to play professionally. Now we have more young athletes out there, but we have fewer minor leagues. Now there are some independent leagues. So if they can compete in those, but we've got we've to gotta find enough games and leagues for these guys that don't get scouted with a radar gun and a stopwatch to be able to show somebody that, yeah, I don't throw as hard. I mean, maybe I'm like Greg Maddux, who struck out over 3,000 hitters and never lit up the radar gun. So maybe he wouldn't get a chance today. Maybe we'll find more guys, more players, hitters like Tony Gwynn, didn't hit home runs, but uh, we'll find more guys like that, give them a chance to play. And, and nowadays that that little opportunity is being cut down because there are fewer minor leagues and fewer opportunities for players to get signed and play.
0: Yeah, it's it's the uh, craziest business model I've ever seen. Reducing yeah. the entry point when you're trying to grow a game. It, uh, never seen that before. But I think that's this is a great premise for the show because it is needed out there. I think we got a lot out there and covered today i'm very very happy with the messaging that we're we're providing the parents and the kids and hopefully high school coaches and travel coaches and college coaches and even minor league baseball coaches out there and i'm going to encourage our audience to as they're addressing this show whether they're in, its comments online or direct messages whatever it may be feed us questions that are bothering you that you're pondering that affect your child or you as a parent or youth coaches we have 900 colleges that Subscribe to the podcast and thousands of high school coaches and travel coaches. So, feed us that information. We're not trying to disparage the work you're doing. We we are glad that more kids are playing, but more is not always better. If we can, um, was it Frank? Was it Frank Howard that said we got a lot more, a lot more practice players? I would say baseballs like that too. We have less
1: practice players. Well, yeah, I'd like to hear from. I, I know there's got to be a lot of parents and coaches out there that disagree with, with me. And just like when I was doing big league baseball on TV in my last few years, I could sense when I walked in a clubhouse that, uh, yeah, this is the guy that doesn't like the way we're doing it these days. That's why I, wanted, that's why I got out. I don't want to sit in a broadcast booth and knock the game of baseball. I'd rather try to encourage people to play it and watch it i think that uh, that opportunity now is with our youth so I'd, I'd love to hear from parents and coaches that disagree or ask questions of uh you know how uh, how we can get this thing reversed so every kid gets a chance to to you know live out his dream
0: yeah injury free too play longer and and play better yeah so th- this this as we move forward with this podcast and of course we'll we'll talk major league baseball and whatnot, but really going to devote it to to the youth and, and the parents. And it's okay to disagree. We're seeing in our society, sometimes people, that's like death for people to disagree. We want that. We want that. And as I always tell people, the greatest, one of the greatest skills a person can have, we've talked about self-awareness on the show is empathy, not sympathy. But if I can sit down across from somebody else and clearly articulate their point of view, I don't have to agree with it. And and they can do the same for me. Then we can start that conversation to make things better. And I think that's what we're trying to do on this show. Yeah, agreed. So, but uh, well, any uh, any thoughts on where we may go next week? You want to tease a little bit, or you want to wait and see what comes yeah,
1: in? I think uh, I think I'd like to see if there's some questions out there that uh, that people have, or I'll just keep trying to. The thing I can rely on most, obviously, everybody can, is the personal experience that I had. You know, having perfect parents and. Never had a really an official coach till I till I got to the big leagues as far as a pitching coach. So uh, I think kids have an advantage now as they can get good coaching at a at a younger age. But the the danger is, as you've mentioned repeatedly, we're over coaching, over training, and not allowing them to just uh, find their own way with the skill set they have and enjoy the game while they're doing it.
0: Yep, well put. Well put. I think that's a great way to. To close out the show today, and uh, really appreciate the messaging you're giving to our audience. And I always joke with with my wife when we do the podcast. I says, as long as there's an audience of one, I'm okay. Um, that that's me listening to the show afterwards. But we do we have a robust audience. I think a very sophisticated audience, almost fifty thousand now subscribers. So, um, in large part to the efforts that you're bringing to to the network and the messaging that we're giving, so they're listening, Jim. We've got their ears and. Bit by bit, we'll keep growing. And I just think we, I don't want to make us sound like we're, we're, this is, we're superheroes, but we, I think the game needs to be saved. And we're going to start with the youth now and just get the next generation, just save it one player at a time, just like your golf shots, 26 good golf shots. We're going to save one player every week. That's going to be our, our goal. So encourage the audience to reach out to, to us and and uh, we'll, we'll let your questions drive our show next week again. So Jim, thanks so much for a great effort today. We appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Concert. I always enjoy it. Yep, and so that's episode two sixty eight on Real Voices of the Game, Cott's Corner, uh, Hall of Fame pitcher Jim Cott providing great messaging today. Fifty thousand subscribers, uh, almost. Continue to do what you're doing. Give us five stars today. Give Jim some nice comments underneath the, the uh, different streaming mechanisms. And again, as of this week, we're the newest podcast uh, group on iHeartRadio. So continue to listen to us on there. Thanks again, Jim. Okay, Dave. Fly in the city, good luck, try that in a small town.
1: See how far you make it there.